This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 21. So please grab your Bible and get ready to listen to God's word. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostle and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him. And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. 
Very good afternoon or morning to everyone. It's a great joy to be with God's people and to be with each other. Now, uh, whether you're in Zoom, you're separated from each other from the screen, or whether you're physically here with this great divide here, because we are one in Christ, why don't we wave at each other a little bit? If you're in Zoom, wave to the people at the other side. Um, look at them, smile a little bit to show that you're glad that they are here to be with you. All right. I'm told that even if you're of a mask, we can see whether you're smiling because of the, the way that your eyes move. So it's great to see everyone. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I can, can I invite you to keep it open to Ephesians chapter 3 because we'll be looking at it closely and it will help greatly if you have your Bible with you. Why don't we begin by asking God to help us? Oh dear Father, we thank you that we can gather in various means and are one in Christ. Father, as we hear the news of uncertainty in the past few days, we are thankful that you are the sovereign and certain God. God, what you have promised us are never shaken by the earthly realm. So we thank you that every spiritual blessings we have remains to be with us because we are in Christ. We ask that your Holy Spirit open our minds and engage our hearts right now as we turn to Ephesians 3. For your glory we pray. Amen. Would he stop preaching? The judges looked at her. My Lord replied, he dares not live off preaching as long as he can speak. August 1661, the words of a simple peasant woman by the name Elizabeth Bunyan, the wife of John Bunyan, a preacher who kissed the face of his firstborn, his blind daughter, and bid farewell to his beloved family and would step into prison for 12 long years. It was the hardest thing John Bunyan had to do. He said so himself, the parting with my wife and poor children had often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. But nevertheless, Bunyan chose prison and a clear conscience, then freedom and a soy conscience by agreeing not to preach any further. This 17th century preacher eventually left behind a treasure trove of teaching including the immortalized book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Now, John Bunyan, he was a man who knew suffering. There was a simultaneous death of his mother and sister. He was drafted into the military in the midst of his teenage grief. The discovery his firstborn was blind, the spiritual depression and darkness in his early years of marriage, the death of his first wife, leaving him a widower with four small children. Twelve years of imprisonment, Persecution, circumcriticism, uh, controversies, pains, and ministries, more imprisonment, and then finally sickness and death while preaching far from those he loved. Yet he was a man who loves God and is loved by God and could not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that another famous preacher by the name Charles Spurgeon in speaking about John Bunyan, he says, this man, if you prick him anywhere, you will find that his blood is Bible-lined. 
every essence of the Bible flows from him because he cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of God's word. Bunyan himself said, I went myself in chains to preach to them in chains. Now, dear brothers and sisters, history tells us John Bunyan was but one of countless Christians whom God used to build his church through the preaching of his word. This morning, as we come to chapter 3 of Ephesians that is in your hand, it was written by a Jewish man familiar with sufferings and imprisonment, a man who would not silence the gospel of Jesus Christ for freedom, a Jewish man chosen by God to go to the Gentiles, and we know that man, the apostle Paul. Last week, when we read Ephesians 2, we went through, we went through it and we saw that Jesus Christ, through himself, brought the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians together as one new people. And the Gentile Christians, people like you and me, are no longer alienated from God, but were made citizens of God's kingdom, family of God's household, and together with the Jewish brothers and sisters, we are built into the holy temple of which God dwells through His Spirit. And so today, as we look at chapter 3, verse 1, this is how it reads. Look at it with me. For this reason of bringing you Gentiles into God's family, I, Paul, am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, we were told in Acts 19 that Paul had been preaching the gospel for more than two years in Ephesus, so much so that all the Jews and Gentiles who live in the bigger province of Asia have heard of Paul and his gospel. So whether, Jew, whether Christians or haters, Jews or Gentiles, Paul's name was famous amongst the city surrounding Ephesus. In fact, we're told in Acts that the whole city of Ephesus even went on riot because of Paul and his message. So Paul says here in verse 1, I'm in prison for the sake of preaching Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. But he was not ashamed of his chain. So now if you have your Bible with you and you open it up to chapter 3, you'll be able to see how Paul's imprisonment book ends verses 1 to 13 of today's passage. In verse 1, Paul says, he was in prison for the Gentiles. And then in verse 13, he wants the Gentile Christians not to be discouraged because of his sufferings for them because Paul's chains are their glory. We'll understand how his statement from verse 1 lands in glory in verse 13 through the verses from verse 2 to verse 12. Now, after Paul's conversation with his readers from verse 1 to 13, he then brings in a very powerful prayer for them from verse 14 to 21, that they may be empowered with the same kind of power of God that was working through Paul for the church. So if you like a structure for today's passage, verses 1 to 13 is Paul's commissioning. Verses 14 to 21 are the Christians empowering. Now, as we look at the first portion, verse 1 to 13, bookend by Paul's imprisonment and the glory of his imprisonment, we can understand this section in two parts. The screen there will show you um, the breakdown. Regarding Paul's imprisonment in verse 1, it is because of verses 2 to 6, crisis 
mystery. And regarding to the glory of Paul's imprisonment at the end of verse 13, it is revealed in verse 7 to 12, the gospel ministry. So how does Paul's imprisonment by preaching the gospel to Gentiles lead to their glory? Follow with Paul starting from verse 2 to 6. In fact, I'll read verse 2 to verse 3 for us. Look at it with me. Verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Now, we've already mentioned earlier, the Jews, the Gentiles in Ephesus and the wider province of Asia already knew Paul. But Paul says here, you have probably also heard about my conversion story, how I met the Lord Jesus on my way to Damascus to imprison Christians, how in the end it was the Lord Jesus who had captured me instead of me capturing the Christians, and by his special revelation, he added me as an unnatural one, the late-coming apostle to the Gentiles. For your sake, Paul says. Paul was saying that for the sake of the Gentiles, Jesus revealed his mystery and commissioned him as their apostle. Now, it was a moment where Paul experienced the power of God. But it was not merely the light that comes from the sky, but it was the Savior coming for the sinner. Paul knew Jesus had commissioned him to go to the Gentiles and also knew that from that day onwards, he would face great sufferings when he proclaims the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles. Acts 19 verse 15 to 16, the Lord says this of Paul. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So years later, having been flogged almost to death, beaten with rods, pelted with stones, facing all kinds of dangers and again in prison, Paul writes this letter to the Gentile believers about the mystery of Christ. As you look back at Ephesians 3, scanning verse 2 to 5, you'll see Paul's readers are quickly reminded that before Christ came, God's cosmic plan was a mystery and unknown to the human world. God's plan was like this Christmas present, nicely wrapped, but then locked in a metal cage. You can smell it, you can shake it, you can weigh it, but until the key is here to unlock the cage, you never know what is in that present. But when it is open, you finally can have God's greatest gift. No other generation, says Paul, could ever have figured out God's grand plan. It was a secret until God's Spirit reveals the mystery of Christ to God's holy apostles and prophets, including Paul. And you and I can finally know and receive the gift. Now, if you want to ask Paul again, so Paul, what is the mystery of Christ that was hidden but now revealed? Paul would have answered verse 6. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together one body, 
and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul already said that I've already written briefly about this to you earlier on. God's mystery is finally revealed to us that we Gentiles can share in the promise in Jesus Christ the forgiveness and salvation is no longer just for Jews, but for you and me Gentiles as well, so that we can be heirs and members of one body in Christ. The verses 2 to 6, Christ's mystery is the gospel of reconciliation. Well, dear brothers and sisters, you may have heard the gospel many times, but can I say it is important that we do not take this for granted at all. How we'll be included in God's kingdom, into God's family, and built together as God's temple for His dwelling. Because these are given to us because of God's grace and His special revelation to the Apostle Paul, and it was eventually given to us that we must not forget where this comes from. For those of us here who are Singaporeans, it will be really sad if we enjoy what we have in this country but quickly forget the founders of our country. It will be a tragedy, isn't it? With sweat and blood, Singapore, from a worldly perspective, became where we are through the founding leaders of this country. Now, one of the most memorable words of our founding Prime Minister, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, he said this. He said, at the end of the day, what have I got? A successful Singapore. What have I given up? My life. You know, a Singaporean must not forget how we got to where we are. So even more so for Christians, especially if we are Gentile Christians, let us give thanks that the mystery of Christ has been revealed to you and I through the gospel, through the apostles and the prophets of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we too share in this promise in Christ Jesus, the gospel of forgiveness, the reconciliation with each other and with God. So now as Paul goes on to verses 7 to 12 to reveal where this gospel ministry is heading, he does not forget how the gospel of reconciliation reached the Jews and the Gentiles. And so again in verses 7 to 8, look at it with me. Paul recaps once again his conversion story and reminds his readers that, verse 7, he became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace through the working of his power. But then he goes on in a strange way to mention verse 8. He says, and I am less than the least of all the lost people. Well, that's not a statement that is common or you expect from the great apostle known in the world. But he said this, not out of false humility, but out of a sober acknowledgement as he remembers his own past, that he was once the enemy of the gospel, the persecutor of Christ. But God's grace and power changed everything. No, there was a change in Paul's position because there was a change in his condition. Remember the book end of verse 1 and 13? Paul was in prison for preaching Christ's mystery to the Gentiles. Yet his suffering, says Paul in verse 13, was the Gentiles' glory. So now we should ask this question, 
how did his suffering becomes the church's glory? And the answer is this. Because Christ had chosen Paul, his enemy, to reveal his glory. And it is God's grace. Well, Paul might well have said this, that, oh, that I, the persecutor of Christ, now gets to be persecuted for Christ. I was a Christian murderer because I was there when the religious elites, they threw their coats at my feet and pelted stones to murder the first Christian martyr, Stephen. I didn't get a chance to be there and not high up the rank yet, but I was there approving it. That was in Acts 7. In fact, it moves on by chapter 8, three verses later, we read Paul, known as Saul, he began to literally destroy churches. So it's chapter 8 of Acts, going from house to house, dragging not just men, but also women, and dragging them into prison. But oh, what glory that Paul, in his sufferings, and now in prison, reveals the immeasurable power of Christ that was on him and validates that the gospel is true. Now, if I were to paraphrase verse 13, perhaps Paul would have sounded somewhat like this. He might have said, Oh, brothers and sisters, do not be discouraged by my suffering for you because this is your glory. I'm now on the right side of prison. Me being persecuted instead of the persecutor. It is the evidence Christ has already won a great enemy to be his great family. And not just me, but all of you Gentiles. Look at verse 8 with me. This grace, says Paul, was given me to preach or to evangelize to you, the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ, so that the Gentiles are now gathering as heirs together with the Jews, forming one body, which is the church. Now that the church has begun, there is no stopping the growing of the church. Blood can be spilled, sufferings may come, but God is gathering a family for himself, and it is growing and is unstoppable. But dear brothers and sisters, if you are still with me, here is where we do not want to miss out what Paul is about to say next because that will blow our mind because the building of the church is not the end of itself. Paul's commission, it was to preach the gospel, the mystery of Christ, that we Gentiles are saved and with the Jews are reconciled with God. But now that we are saved as a church, God has the intention for the church to reveal his great cosmic plan to the spiritual realms. Will you look at verse 10, verse 11 with me in your Bible or on the screen? This intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, dear friends, look at these two verses with me for a moment. It is not Paul alone who will fulfill God's plan. It is verse 10, through the church, that God will make plain His manifold wisdoms to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Now, we need to ask the question, who are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm? Well, no doubt it would have been including 
all the spiritual beings in the heavenlies that they will see it, the good and the bad. But if we look carefully or ahead in chapter 6, verse 12, we are told this. We are told that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but listen to this, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So verse 10 here is saying that God intends to showcase His manifold wisdom, His glorious wisdom to the spiritual beings, especially those who have rebelled against Him in the heavenly realms. The spiritual forces who should have worshipped God but have spurned and rebelled against God. The spiritual forces who laughed when Adam and Eve turned away from God's wisdom. The spiritual forces that sneered when humans gathered not to worship God but to build a tower of Babel to worship themselves. And all through history, the Jews, the Gentiles, you and I, we show ourselves to be the enemies of God. And for a long, long time, it seems that God's plan to save and reconcile His image bearers will never succeed. Jews couldn't keep the laws. The Gentiles didn't have the law. But now, by the gospel of reconciliation, God is revealing that His plan of gathering a people, a family to Himself, is already happening and it's totally unstoppable. As the church is being built, those in the heavenly realm sees God's image bearers gathering to worship God with thanksgiving and praises. People from all colors and all cultures and all places coming to build not another tower of Babel, but to build the temple of God where God dwells and they worship and praise Him. As the church rise and give our hearts in worship to God, like what we are doing week by week and in all the different places, spiritual realm sees that God's kingdom will rise and their judgment is certain. God's wrath was exhausted on the cross for those who come under Christ. God's wrath will come on those who sneered at the, at the glory and the wisdom of God in the heavenly realms. So I was chatting with a Christian brother who is, a, who is an expert at making kueh lapis. You know what's kueh lapis? Some people call it the thousand layer cakes. It's, it's famous in Singapore and in Asia. It was kind of an expensive but delicious delicacy. Expensive because it is so time-consuming. That you put layer by layer, you bake it and you put a layer and bake it and put a layer until it finally completes to be that delicious grey lapis. No, it is very time-consuming. But as the aroma fills the room and it fills up the neighbor's house, it becomes clear to everyone that the pastry chef has made very ordinary ingredients into a masterpiece that wins the praise and longings of the family and friends and silence those who criticize his effort. Now, it may sound like a strange illustration here, but this is how it looks like. The church may look weak and jelly-like at various points in history, but make no mistakes because as layers 
and layers of God's church is being built and built and built by and sealed up by the blood of Jesus, the people have come together who are unlikely people, Jews and Gentiles gathering together, enemies, human rivals, gathering and holding hands as families. It is evidence that God's cosmic plan is going to be fulfilled. The kingdom of Christ is going to come. And on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But for the angels of rebellion, the evil spiritual forces who laugh at the fall of humanity, who despise God's wisdom, the growing church is a sore eye to them because the church is the evidence of their judgment. In fact, even now, the reconciled relationship can be witnessed by the heavenly realms. As you and I do this in verse 12, that in Christ and through faith in Christ, we approach God with freedom and confidence. Don't we now go to God in the smallest things and talk to Him closest to our heart? So verse 7 to 12, God's, the gospel ministry builds the church which reveals God's manifold wisdom to the spiritual realm. And so yes, the gospel of the Gentiles landed Paul in prison, but there's no shame because he is on the right side of the prison bar. His willingness to be imprisoned rather than to be silent is a witness and a testimony that the kingdom is growing and so is the church. Dear brothers and sisters, to pause here for a moment, will we not want to be part of God's kingdom and grand purpose? Is there a reason to wait further? Whether you're here or you're on Zoom, if you're not a Christian, would you consider carefully responding to this mystery that is now unpacked and revealed to you? Here's the reality. Being comfortable is not a promise that we are on the right side of life. For it is not the earthly realm we should be worried about. It is the spiritual realm that we should fear that we are on the wrong side. And if you're a professing Christian, perhaps here or on Zoom, just visiting BDPC for this week, if you're traveling alone as a Christian without a local church, isn't it time to join a local church rather than to be a bystander of God's kingdom on this side of life? It is not easy being part of the local church. We're going to see that next week for sure. But Christ never promised ease. What he promised is a future. Let us be in that future right now. Now, before we close the chapter, Paul, having spoken about Christ's mystery and the gospel ministry, he wants to pray for the Christians that we will not be discouraged when the going gets tough, but we will be empowered by God's own power. And so turn with me in our remaining time to Paul's prayer in verses 14 to 21. Look at 14 with me. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. He coming right out of verse 13, Paul now kneels before God to whom all creation belongs and he prays for the church not to be discouraged but to be strengthened. If you're a discouraged Christian, Listen to this prayer because it is a prayer for us. Paul's petition begins in verse 16. Let me read it to us. 
I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Now Paul yet prayed that the Christians could see the resurrection power of God back in chapter 1. Here, he's praying for the strengthening of Christians with power through His Spirit in our inner being. Now, it's worth just making a point and note that Paul is not praying for Christians to be Superman or Superwoman externally because naturally we grow older, we age, we could be sick, we could die. Now, Paul is praying for the strengthening of our inner being with God's power. Our spiritual being, we may say this, because we are talking about spiritual realms, that we will grow stronger and stronger within us in Christian maturity. Now, as he puts it to another church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are growing and renewing day by day, achieving for us an eternal glory. Now, we may ask, how will God's Spirit strengthen us with power from within? If you ask that, look at verse 17 with me. Paul says, by Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Now, what does it mean for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith? Isn't Christ already with us when we are Christian? What does it mean that Christ will dwell with us? Well, Don Carson in his sermon on this prayer describes that it is like Christ making his home and doing the renovation work from within. I remember when we moved to Perth, we first stayed in this prehistoric house. It's huge, but it's prehistoric. There's no antenna for TV. There's no telephone lines we have. The, the one toilet we have is often choked and is freezing during winter. But you know what? We were so reluctant to do any, any renovation because we are just renting the place. Well, eventually we did get a heated light in the bathroom so that we don't freeze during winter. And we pay for some uh, fixing of stuff so that we don't have a bushfire in, in, in the backyard. But we were so reluctant to make any changes to the house. But when we came back to Singapore and we come back to our own home, we were so excited to remove all those things that are not great and to make it our own place. We got rid of the termite-prone kitchen cabinets the broken door, the super glue doorknob that has no key, but it gets locked all the time. We, we cleared everything and we even painted the house our favorite blue color. In fact, we even got a rabbit just because we could, because no one's going to say no pets allowed. So Paul's prayer here is that Christ, to whom we belong, would dwell in us and begin the renovation work in our inner being, that we'll become more and more like Christ. That is a prayer that God's Spirit will work that in us and make us more like Christ. And then he moves on to the second part of the prayer. Look with me to verse 17 to 18. He said this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the church to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, the power here in verse 16, 17 was for Christ to dwell in us and change us as we trust Him. And here in this second part, 17 to 18, is for us, together with the church, to grasp the immeasurable love that Christ has for us. He can't love us more than He already has. 
but we can know this love more than we do now so that we can be strengthened in all circumstances and we can live as his church. It is a request, Paul's request, that God would empower us and his church to make God's truth about Christ's love real to us. In verse 19, so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, to be all that God wants his people to be. No, it's like a person when he or she knows that she was totally or he's totally loved, does not need to go out and search for love in all kinds of wrong places. Because that love is sufficient. And that is Paul's prayer for Christians. And as we comprehend this love that surpasses our ability to comprehend, it's telling us no matter how much we keep growing to love and know God, Christ's love, the more we recognize it, the bigger our bucket is, the more it flows in because it's beyond our ability. Bring a teacup and God fills it with the knowledge of Christ's love. Bring that oil tanker and God fills it up with the love of Christ that we should know. This is a prayer for power that God will keep enlarging our comprehension of Christ's love that every time as you open up God's word, as you read about his death, for you as the cross, it doesn't get boring, but it becomes more and more real as we recognize how sinful we are. Someone used to say, as you grow in godliness, those big boulders of our sin gets removed. You see, there are more smaller boulders. As you, as you remove them, you get to see the smaller ones. And you try to pull the small one out, you realize that beneath is this huge thing. And you realize that as we realize how deeply impossible we are to get to heaven and how amazing God's love is in Christ that he died on the cross to remove all these things and plant a garden of heaven for us that our love for Christ will keep growing and growing and growing. That we will look forward to the day dwell perfectly with Him and with each other. C.S. Lewis once said that if you have seen the other Christian or who or he or she will be in heaven, you will be tempted to worship him or her as well. That day will come, not yet, but we are in the journey and and that's Paul's prayer that we grow to know the love of Christ. Some people may say to Paul, I think that is all so good, but how impossible it looks as I look at my church. Paul says, yes, it sounds too good to be true, but it is true and it is possible. And so he ends and we shall end with the final doxology that Paul now turns and speaks to God. Verse 20, 21, this is where we close. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so to the powerful one who is able to do all that we think and imagine and do more than we can ever think or dare to imagine that he will do all that because he has already begun the impossible of giving birth to the church. May the Lord answers this prayer as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen us with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being 
so that Christ may dwell and change us more to be like Him. For those of us who struggle, for those of us who are discouraged on many occasions, that God, You will empower us that we may grasp the immeasurable love of Christ. To be reminded that our sins and Your love were the ones that helped Christ on the cross until our salvation was won. His dying breath was the one that gave us life because we know that when our breath runs out, the new life will come again and grow our capacity more each day to comprehend Christ's love and to recognize how much love He has given to how deep a sinner we are so that we may be filled to the measure of Your fullness. To You be glory in the church and in Christ forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.